podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You can't win anything with kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? <laughs> Hi and welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Five. Today we are lucky enough to be joined by former Leeds, Aston Villa and Chelsea player, Mr Tony Dorigo. The native Australian left for England as a teenager. He has played in cup finals, Italian 90 and sparred with Doug Ellis and Ken Bates. But the one player we would like to start off by talking about, David Batty. We've been trying to find people that have played with him in his career. And what was he like as a teammate? And Because there was a rumour that he, he broke Keith Cole's jaw in one of the training sessions and... Bats, um, what's interesting about David Batty is that if I was ever uh, going to war and in the trenches, I would want Bats alongside me. Simple as that. He, he, I could rely on him 110%. Uh, did he love football? No. Uh, was he very bloody good at it? Yes. Uh, yeah, he was, he was a character. I roomed with him uh, on some England trips as well. Um, and yeah, he did break Keith Curl's jaw uh, <laughs> in Australia just in a training session. So jumped up, gave him an elbow, uh, down Curly went and broke his jaw. Curly then went off to hospital, got it all wired back up. And the next day came to the England hotel again, back with the boys um, <laughs> and sat on the same table as, as me, Bats and uh, you know, six or seven other guys, but had to, of course, eat through a straw. Now, we all found that obviously very, very funny, as you do. Uh, and I thought Bats would then turn around and say, you know, sorry, Curly, didn't mean it. It was an accident. Bats said nothing at all. Just nothing. <laughs> I'm going, Bats, just say sorry. He goes, why? I said, no, just say sorry. Like, it's an accident. He goes, yeah, I've got nothing to say sorry for. I thought, okay, then. Let's let's leave it like that, Bats. That's fine. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was something else. You know, he really was. He actually broke my tooth uh, on a trip to... Um, New Zealand, <laughs> the same trip, but f- further on. Um, we ended up having an argument over um, my tracksuit in that we went for a day out. We had a day out in New Zealand. I went to play golf, he went fishing, and he come back, and his tracksuit was covered in fish guts. Like, you know, this is the blue, red, and white one, so it was mainly white up the top. And he, uh, he managed to come back, and it was blood everywhere. It was stinking, it was rotten. And I said to Bats, Bats, your tracksuit is absolutely stinking. And he said, it's not my tracksuit, it's yours. He took it off and gave it to me. I thought, you bloody little bugger. <laughs> so we start mucking about. So I'm hitting him with a pillow. He hits me with a pillow. I whack him with something else. Then he throws a, a silver tray straight at my face. Cracks my tooth. I thought, right, I had better stop this because he is not going to stop. I may be dead before this ends. So, uh, yeah, he's a great guy, great player. Uh, one you could rely on, uh, had a lot of talent, a lot more talent than people uh, kind of realise. Uh, but he was vital, obviously, to the success of the Leeds team at that point. Uh, it's just that he wasn't in love with football. He, he loved motor, uh, motor racing, motorcycles uh, and Haslam and all that sort of stuff. You know, he absolutely loved it. So, um, yeah, uh, don't see much of him, which is a real shame because, um, you know, he just doesn't really like the limelight, wants to do exactly what he wants to do, which... Uh, uh, I suppose if we all did that, we'd be pretty happy, wouldn't we? And that's what Bats does, but it's just not not doing what others others want to do. So in training, would, would he hang around with the boys after training? Would he go out to social events? Because I've, I've read and heard different people that say different things, that he would come into training, do his job professionally, but then in the car, he's, he's gone home before the rest of you have even changed into the showers. Is that is that a truth? Uh, sometimes, but he would join in as well. He knew the importance, I think, of making sure you know, you're integrated with the with the squad. Him and Speedo, uh, you know, they got on great. They were great mates and they did a lot of, you know, stuff together. But trying to get Bats uh, out and doing everything what everyone else was doing, you know, wasn't easy. I remember one time we tried to play golf and uh, we were trying to, we were actually trying to join a golf club, uh, a Jewish golf club. And uh, <laughs> we all got told, me, Speedo and Bats, that we had to wear a collar and tie to the interview. And uh, we went along and we're all waiting there and Bats just said, you know, didn't really want to be there, obviously. So he, he walks in and two minutes later, walks straight back out. His, his ties skew if he says, I don't want to play for this golf club. I don't want to be here, you know, and out he goes. Like he had no patience kind of whatsoever. Um, but you can't help but like him, you know, I've got to say. But uh, yeah, he would do, he's unique. Listen, he was different. Anytime we had set pieces and going through free kicks, whether it was defending or attacking, uh, rarely was Bats involved in those sort of things. 
and he would just cause mayhem because he was bored. So he'd get the ball and he'd boot it somewhere. And in the end, I think the manager, Howard Wilkinson, ends up sending him to the next pitch, telling him to bugger off, you know, leave us alone for 10 minutes and come back when we're all done. Uh, but I'll tell you what, get him on a Saturday, that first tackle, you know, the way that he went in and crunched someone, that set the tone for the game. Uh, the crowd would go up and, you know, we were off and running straight away. It's interesting. We're a 90s predominantly based podcast. And the thing you just said there with the tap, that, 90, that t- tackle at crunch that set the crowd off, it's, it's missing in the game now, unfortunately. So that's, a, you know, a, a day gone by. So I'm going to jump around on the timeline a bit. If you, um, so go back and forth. We're supposed to keep it chronological. Um, so your title winning season at Leeds in 92. Uh, what an experience. Uh, how, how was that? How, how did you feel? Did you sense at a certain stage that you was going to go on to win it? Was there any sort of moment you thought, well, we're having a wobble here? How, how, what, yeah, talk to us about that. I, th- I think what was uh, really interesting coming from Chelsea at that time and then going to Leeds was uh, Leeds were a really strong group. Uh, you know, extremely high standards everywhere, you know, across the club and in training. Uh, Gordon Strachan, you know, Gary McAllister, you know, a lot of experience there. Um, and so you went into a, a, you know, a, a really good environment to be successful. Uh, very thorough with, uh, with the manager and what he expected of us. It was nice and clear. Um, yeah, and the momentum of the club was all moving in the one direction. It really was, though, concentrating on just the, you know, the next game and the next game. And it's a really boring thing to say, but there's a reason you do that, because you, you focus so much more uh, on exactly what's in front of you. Um, you know, you always hope and wish you could go and you know, win the title. It doesn't happen every year, but you always go out and win that next game, win that next game. And then we, we kept doing it. We kept winning the next game and the next game. And um, we, uh, we got to you know, the top. We had uh, a bad loss away to Man City. Uh, but again, it was very easy for to say, OK, that's just one game. We get back to the next one, just win the next one. And we kept winning, put the pressure on United. They cracked and we won it by four points. But yeah, the, the strength of the group um, was incredible. Did we ever think we we're going to win it? We didn't think like that. Of course, we knew we had a great opportunity, but we always thought we'd win the next game. And that's, uh, that's the way that Howard brought us back to focus on uh, what's important. And that is just the game in front of you. What was, sorry, sorry how did you, uh, you come about signing for Leeds, Tony? Um, I was at Chelsea. Um, yeah. Good old Mr. Bates uh, was the chairman at Chelsea. And he really did like to get his fingers in every single pie, that man. Uh, so I soon worked out that it was going to be a, a problem because uh, the way that he, he tried to do things really affected the playing side quite a lot. And the manager at the time, which is John Hollands, who had... You know, absolutely no chance of, of kind of you know managing the team as he would like. So um, I loved it there. We had some great, uh, great games, some some good seasons. Uh, scored in the cup final with Chelsea, the winner, and it was it was good. However, uh, I wanted to be going somewhere where I thought I could win the title. You know, I, I wanted to, to to win the big stuff. We did win the old um, uh, Division Two, the Championship as it is now, with Chelsea by an absolute streak. We got back up and you know did well. We had really good players, but. Uh, I'd worked out from uh, from a, you know probably a couple of years into my contract that no, no I need to go somewhere else. But I had four year contract, so I I saw it out. Uh, my options then were Glasgow Rangers. Um, have always were always trying to sign me at that point. Um, and Graham Sunes was there. Um, and then I was supposed to talk to one or two others, but I was wanting to go away with England first, come back, and then talk to you know three or four clubs, and then decide. Uh, but then Leeds came in and said. No, you can't do that. You've got to come straight up to Yorkshire before you go away. And I said, well, no, I'm going away in a few days. You know, I, I can't do that. They said, no, you can. We want you to. We're demanding you to get up on a plane, come up and see us. I thought, oh, blinking at me. You know, they're, they're really eager, these guys. Um, so then when I, I went up, I talked to Howard. Um, and they just, they just, for me, were a club on the move that understood their, their role and where they were, what they needed to to be and of course they wanted me you know, a great deal and I thought any player wants to be you know wanted there was a clear uh, path they were already going to buy as well I think Steve Hodge and uh, Rod Wallace you know, a couple of England internationals as well as myself England international so the improvement was there the players were already there great youngsters in bats and speedo um, so I thought yeah, you know what they finished fourth that year so I'm thinking wow maybe if we get those two or three players you know we could go even better so um, that was the that was the reason behind it. Cool. With, with Ken Bates, you know, he's got a character. The chairman like that aren't around anymore. The, you know, the lovable rogue almost. They're just rogues or generally speaking, a lot of the, the rogues of the chairman now. 
Well, how was the interaction? Lovable Rogue. How was the interaction with him? Was he as hard as he said? Because he turned down your transfer request and you saw it your four years. Now that wouldn't happen. If they turned it down, most players would probably um, up toy toys and just throw the toys at the pram. So obviously it's a testament to your character that you just got your head down. But I think in that era, a lot more players did that. The power was with the clubs a bit more. Yeah. Was you a bit daunted by going in? Was it a case of you going into the chairman and going, listen, I need to leave? Or was there a middleman because obviously agents weren't as big back then? Uh, no, I I went in uh, with a, a letter. Yeah, I wrote it all down. Um, gave it to the chairman and then he said he wanted to meet me to discuss it. I thought, okay. Again, nerve-wracking, but you know, I just came out and said exactly how I felt. I think that was always important. He also knew I would always give 110%. That's the sort of player you know that I was. Um, and I went in there, talked to him. <laughs> I can't tell you exactly what he said to me, but <laughs> all I'm going to say is he would never make a politician. That's all I'm going to say. So I still went through the door uh, and back out. Uh, and from that point forward, I was never signing again. Uh, that's what he put in my head. So it wasn't the brightest of things to do. But hey, you know, this is what it is. Uh, I carried on, played for the two years. You know, had some uh, good times to take, obviously, in the, the Division One, the, the Premier League now. Um, so all good. But I, I just felt, you know, those things that I was worried about never changed. Uh, and so it was time to, to kind of move on. But Batesy, yeah, you're right. Uh, he's a character and you can get on well with him, you know, in some instances, he, he's great company. Um, just some of the things he did uh, for me was, um, was not conducive for teams and a club to move forward and win football matches or win titles, the big titles, which is why I left. How did you find knowing that, because obviously psychologically, you, 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 at that point you, you've left mentally at some point, I should assume, um, and you've got to keep professional obviously and get on with it and, and make sure. Was there a little bit of you that was held back thinking if I get injured, if I know I'm got done in two years time, the last six months of your contract say, how did you deal with that side of it thinking I'm done? I never thought like that at all. You know, I always thought, you know what, I'm playing in front of, you know, great fans. They're, they're, they're crazy fans. They, the club's a really good club. Unfortunately, it was just at, at that time, you know, what the problem was. The lads were great as well. Um, we had some really good players and we could go on and win, you know, four, five, six games in a row easily. Uh, but then, of course, something would, a grenade would get thrown in and then it'd be a, you know, a problem again. And I just felt that was the difficult bit. But no, geez, I, I, I love playing football. Uh, you can't think like that either, because if you're trying to protect yourself, that is when you do get injured. So you've got to give it you know, 110% crack on right to the very end. So it was easy to get through it. Um, it was just a little frustrating because I did think at the time we had uh, players that were good enough to challenge, you know, a lot higher up as well. But uh, we just, you know, for lots of reasons, couldn't put it together. So jumping back to Leeds then, um, you play with one of my idols, Mr. Eric Cantona. We spoke to Brian Dean um, in a podcast and we spoke to um, Kevin Pressman and Pressman just said how good he was there. Uh, Brian Dean just said phenomenal. Um, your personal experience, what, 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 what was your take on Cantona, the enigma, so to speak? I actually came across Eric um, playing for England under-21s at Highbury against France under-21s. Uh, we drew 2-2, and this bloody big Frenchman up top scored twice. I thought, who the friggin' hell's this guy? Uh, and it was Cantona. So I, I kind of knew the name. Uh, then, of course, you know the history of it. You know, then what happened when it's Sheffield Wednesday, this, that, and the other. And he turned up uh, on our doorstep at, at Leeds, and um, he was uh, a consummate professional. You know, training was very serious. Uh, couldn't speak much English, so that was always going to be difficult. Um, but you just looked at him in training, you know, how he, how he, how he trained. Uh, and it was impressive, but I, I do remember one particular instance where he scored this goal, which uh, I still haven't seen the like of it ever before. He scored it in training when the goals were brought up to the 18-yard lines. So full size, but then it's a bit shorter. And then the, the keeper uh, threw it out to the right-hand side, and Eric was running out to near to the halfway line, and the ball was coming over his right-hand shoulder uh, from our keeper. And before it hit the deck, he volleyed it back across and scored 40 yards in the top corner in, at the other end. And whoever was in that goal there did not obviously expect a shot from there. Well, no one did. And we just stood back and thought, oh, my God, what just happened then? But it was more the reaction of what Eric did next, because if it was anyone else, you'd run around like an idiot. You know, hey, you scored a worldy goal. Eric just wandered back to the halfway line and said, okay, kick off, you know, we, we start again. 
that's what I do. I thought, wow, if that's what you do, <laughs> here we go. We're in for a winner here. Uh, so yeah, so it was interesting. So you knew he had talent, you had you know bags of it. Integrating it into the side uh, was the challenge. And I think that's where I think anyway, that uh, Howard Wilkinson uh, and he were not a match made in heaven. Uh, I think that's the best way of putting it. I, I think what Eric wanted uh, and probably required was to be the leader, to be the Pied Piper, to, to have everyone playing to his tune. Uh, and when he found out that we don't do that at Leeds, like we kind of our success was built on not that. Our success was built on everyone having to do exactly what's required, you know, their job and helping their, their next uh, bloke out. So um, that was, uh, I, I think, where the, the issues kind of lie. And then, of course, he started to learn English. And then I think with his relationship started to deteriorate a bit with uh, Howard Wilkinson, the English suddenly disappeared, which was quite interesting to see. Uh, he suddenly came out with a lot of French and couldn't understand a damn word, which we thought was very funny. Uh, but you know what, well, we all got on really well with him and same things on a, on an afternoon or a night out, you know, Eric would be there as well and he would join in, uh, and he was just quiet and assuming and, uh, you know, one, one heck of a player. So Tony, you're a 15 year old boy and you decide to write to English clubs for trials. All of a sudden Aston Villa get back to you. Tell me how exciting that must be as a, as a young lad, uh, your dream is about to come true. Uh, no, that was ridiculous. Honestly, I can even picture it now. The envelope came with the claret and blue on the front, this little logo. And I've gone, oh, oh, for God, you can't believe someone's replied to me for a start. Because no one else did. No one else did. It cost them 34 pence, for God's sake, to put a stamp on it. And I get this letter. Uh, and what was exciting was they said, right, they'll pay for nothing. I have to just turn up on their doorstep Monday morning. Uh, but I could stay for four days. I had a four-day trial. Uh, with the youth team, but I was only 15. So they were full-time 16, 17-year-olds. Uh, but my God, that's all I needed. You know, you just want a, want a chance and opportunity. So very exciting. So my dad and me came over. We just uh, booked uh, a flight and came over for four days uh, and just hoped. Uh, so yeah, fortunately, obviously, it went rather well. Uh, but it was just so different. I was so cold. Oh my God, I was so cold. <laughs> I'm still so cold. I'm the only one in summer, in May, that I wear this like Arctic jacket on me with gloves just to make sure I can survive the cold. But uh, actually, it's funny. They, people say to me, why are you so quick? Actually, I was cold. I had to just go run really fast for 90 minutes. <laughs> that was the thing. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was an exciting time. Did Villa pay for you to go over or did you out your own pocket? Own pocket. Yeah, no. What they said they would do, they would put me up in the, uh, the youth hostel. They had a hostel where a lot of the apprentices lived. So they would put me up there and feed me and what have you, but for four days only. So I couldn't join in on the Friday because that was when they did their set pieces and what have you for the game the next day. So there was nothing really for me to do. Um, so that's what happened. So I did that. They asked me to stay another week. So I did that. And then on the third week, I think it was, they said, right, we want to sign you, uh, but you're too young. You're going to have to go to school for six months. Um, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go back to Australia, then I'll come back at the start of the season. I came over in October, November time. Uh, and they said, no, you're not going anywhere. You're staying here. We still want you to train, but you're going to go to school. We want you to train on the night and we want you to play, you know, with the youth team as well. So uh, I couldn't go back. My dad went back and that year was the coldest, I think, weather in 23 years. And I got a, a photo taken of me waiting for a bus in the snow. Uh, it was on the front of the Bir Birmingham Evening Mail. I didn't realise, obviously, there was ice everywhere, that there were no buses. So I'm waiting there for like ages for this friggin' bus, freezing, as you can imagine, again. Um, so it was a, at 15, it was hard because I got you know, homesick. I'm at school when I really want to play football. Um, so it was a lot to take in. But in that period, I grew up, you know, really quickly. You sink or swim. I swam and then, uh, yeah, I was an apprentice then at 16. So what did your dad do? As a job, because obviously to drop everything and come over, like, you know, all the way around the world or around the world. Yeah, he was a, a panel beater, a spray painter. So worked on cars. That's what he's done all his life. So, and my mum, she, they eventually actually came when I was 17 and a half. They moved over in the end. But the problem was the 15 year old lad that left to the 17 and a half year old uh, kind of man that they then, yeah, we couldn't live together. I had to go and buy my own house and what have you. So they come, they come all that way and I just moved out. So it was, it was. <laughs> nightmare but yeah I mean they supported me you know all, all the way um but yeah it was a big thing but I only it looks a big thing now that I look back at it at the time there's only one thing in my head that was 
it was going for it. I had the chance. I was going to make the most of it, the best opportunity that I could. Uh, that's all I could think of, and, and uh, you know, it worked. So you went straight. Sorry, go on, go on, yeah, go on. Uh, I was saying I've done some digging, and uh, I read that you're um, you'd had a tr- uh, obviously when you played for Villa, you went to Italy and had is it a, like match against Udinese? Yeah. So was that like your first? Was that kind of like your first first team? Uh... Just about, yeah, just yeah. about because um, I think I was eight, seventeen or eighteen, something like that, and yeah, um, eight, it was eighteen. Yeah, I think so, and I went to Italy for a, a friendly against uh, Udinese. My father is born in Udinese. So yeah. His team is Udinese. So uh, I had some family there that came and watched the game, what have you, but I couldn't speak Italian. So they're, you know, trying to talk to me. I did this message up on the big screen to say hello to them and what have you. Uh, and then as the game you know, started, I had this old guy against me, this winger with a moustache. And uh, yeah, I, I had no idea who this guy was. So I just kept booting him and kicking him and running past him. And I was like a man possessed because I had an opportunity uh, you know to show what I was about in the in the first team, and so as a youngster, you got to you got to take everything you can get. So, um, but all the other players, every time I I tackled this guy, the other players were like swearing at me. I learned so many Italian swear words; it was great. My my language went you know up a mile, but not very good words. So I'm thinking, why are these guys going nuts at me? Next thing, this old guy with a moustache again tries to take me on. I go bang, whack him. He's down. I get the ball up. I'm sprinting past everyone, and they're they're going crazy. Like they've got a referee. This guy's nuts, and I, I couldn't understand what was going on. Eventually, this guy went off. He was huffing and puffing, went off after about an hour. Um, anyway, end of the game happens, and they come up to me and says, uh, Tony, you played fantastic, wonderful, um, but why, unfortunately, did you keep kicking the, uh, the player you are, you know, you're playing against? I said, well, I had no idea you know, who that player is. I, I just didn't know. It's, it's, a, it's an opponent, and I'm going to just keep keep kicking him, you know, keep trying to put him the other way. He says, that's the great Franco Calcio, plays for Italy, Juventus, title winning thing, and you just booted the life out of him. I've gone, <laughs> oh my God, I am really sorry. I am really sorry. I didn't know it was him and that was it. Udinese offered £275,000 for me straight away. Well, yeah, that's what I was, that's what was my next question. I was about to say, they offered, obviously, to sign you, so... But was your mind made up already? To, could you have gone to sign for them? Or Villa wouldn't let me go, obviously. And to be honest, it was it was just something that you know was said and done. And Villa goes, you can forget it, and, and that's it. And uh, to be honest, that's what I wanted to hear because I I was desperate to get in the Villa Villa first team. Yeah. So Tony, play, playing for England, uh, you had 15 caps. Do you think it means as much to the players now as it did when you played? Seeing as you know, it's almost like everyone gets it gets a cap these days you know i mean obviously people earn it don't get me wrong but have you got one have you got a cap <laughs> <laughs> i have but it's got oh, night written got, across it we all put ours on shall we <laughs> i was gonna say mine's got nike written across it not an england badge but <laughs> but yeah you know i mean it's it's all you know if i feel like in the 90s stuff you had to earn it i don't i mean i'm not saying don't earn it now but it just seems that you know you play play a few good games and you and you know you, you get a call up Okay, well, well, I, I tell you why I think that is. Uh, simply because obviously, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we, we sold our uh, we sold our league down the river by allowing you know all the money to come into the game. We then have foreign managers, a lot of foreign players. We haven't got caps on that. So if you are English and if you play a few decent games, there's not many English good players you know playing because there's so many foreign players. So of course you are going to be uh, you know, put forward as an England player. I think you go back to when I played, you know, there's obviously a lot more English, a lot more to choose from. And now you've got to be very, very good to get in. So if you are getting in and playing at a top club regularly, you are automatically, I think, you know, in the England squad. So there's no doubt that, uh, you know, Gareth Southgate, uh, I, I suppose, have a uh, just a slightly smaller uh, pool to, to fish in with regard to, to players. Um, I think it is extremely important simply because you know, it's not a monetary thing, you, you know, playing for your country. Uh, is nothing to do with with uh, with the money side of things because they actually don't get you don't get paid very much at all, but that doesn't matter because that's not what it's about. And now, especially with the wages they're getting, you know, it's so small, it's still a large amount of money, obviously, but in relative terms, it's not. So, um, no, I I, th- I think the players now, uh, I'm sure, some very proud, you know, Englishmen playing for their country. You know, absolutely. Um, again, I, I think you've got to uh, look at. Yeah, just the amount of players that um, Gareth Southgate got to pick from. But I, I do believe that uh, you know that they love putting that English shirt on. I certainly did. Everyone that I played with 
you know, geez, when I hear Terry Butcher in the tunnel, you know, start thump the old chest. Yeah, you're you're ready to rumble, no no doubt about that. So uh, it was uh, good times, and, and I'm sure it's slightly different now, but I'm sure they all you know really do enjoy playing for their country. Well, you say that, Tony, but did I? I think I read that you did actually want to play for Australia. Is this? Um, I would have played for Australia. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm I am born in Australia. I was yeah yeah, born yeah of course there. I lived there for 15 years, um, and that was my dream at the time. It was when I was uh, 17, 18 again, I got into Aston Villa's first team at 18 and then Australia came asking uh, for me to play for them. And there was World Cup qualifiers uh, going on. But the problem back then was that the international calendar was not aligned, yeah. meaning, you know, England wasn't aligned with Europe, wasn't aligned with Oceania or South America. So everyone played their games at different times. Yeah. Now you have international breaks, you can fly all around the world do what you got to do and come back to your club, no problems at all. Then you couldn't do that. So Australia came to me and said, right, we are playing our qualifying games um, and we want you to come, but you have to come for four to five weeks because we've got five or six games in between. Also, you can't keep flying back and forward. Uh, but we had, uh, I think, I don't know, Fiji, New Zealand, American Samoa, which obviously I didn't even know there was an American Samoa. So these sorts of uh, countries and no disrespect to them, but they're not you know, right up there in the elite of world football. Uh, yet I'm 18 years of age. I've just gotten Aston Villa's first team. I'm going to play uh, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, Manchester United, you know, coming up in this period. Uh, but me, like a fool, went in to ask my boss to say, listen, I'd like to play for Australia. And then when I explained the games we were playing, he looked at me if, if I was from out of space. He yeah. says, you've got to be bloody kidding me. Get out of this freaking door. You've got Old Trafford, didn't he say? You've got uh, Man United. you got Old Trafford, uh, Man United on the next Exactly day. that one. You want to ask them when you want to go play American yeah. Samoa. Are you bloody stupid? I thought, yeah, you put it like that. Okay, fine. He wouldn't have allowed me to go anyway. So I didn't go. So that was it. I went out. Uh, obviously, I was disappointed, but I could understand why. Yeah. Uh, but it was so exciting playing for Aston Villa, you know, in the in Division 1. It, it was amazing. And then a couple of years later, um, England came to me and said, uh, you do know uh, you could qualify uh, for a, a British passport if you uh, apply for citizenship after uh, five years. You've done four already, uh, one more, uh, you'll become uh, a British citizen. Then you can choose uh, of which uh, British country you'd like to play for and we'd like you to play for us. So um, I thought, wow, you know, I was really honoured. I felt more and more, obviously at home now, I was playing in the Villa First team and so I decided to play for England. Tony, um, you see, when we're going back to what I said about caps, do you think now because of like dual nationality, if a, like as a as a, a player who is uh, a rising star, but he hasn't quite broken through yet, but there's a good chance that he could break through, and he's dual nationality, England will give him a cap so that he can't play for the other nationality. Do you think a lot of that goes on as well? Yeah, listen, and I think it's difficult. I, I think um, it, it's only turned out right for me in that because. I've stayed here, uh, you know, all my kids are here. I'm not going to go back to Australia. Uh, yeah, so I feel very much, you know, English now, even with a slight Australian accent, obviously. Uh, whereas you've got some, I think they were talking about, what was the Spanish keeper at Arsenal at one point was talking about? Almunia. Almunia, yeah. Right, you know, talking about him playing for England. I thought, well, that's not right, because he's going to go back to Spain, isn't he? But you know what I mean? He's not going to have that, that sense, that feeling. And he's crap. To be fair. And also, he was crap. That was more to the point. He was crap. That's it. Yeah, good point. Uh, so, I, so I think it's a difficult one. Um, I think if you're looking at talent coming through, of course, you want to have the biggest pool to choose from, and that's why you you'll try and do these things. But uh, there has to be, you know, uh, certainly a, a link somehow. And with the rules and regulations, you, you know, players will and uh, countries and managers will pick accordingly, and that's what they've done. Uh, I don't think it's uh, too bad. You know, five years in in one place. Uh, and I've, I've stayed here for another 30-odd, so uh, it, it was fine for me, but I can see how that can be bent a little bit with other stuff here. With uh, Going back to England, uh, you mentioned Terry Butcher there, like characters in, in, in football. We, we've said, as we said about the quantum tackle with Batty, that we've lost that now. It's, it's not, we've moved on, it's, it's changed. It's not better or worse, it's just it's a different style of, of, of the game now. How was it, when you got your first call-up, you get your England cap, and how was your dealing with the level of players you was playing at the best of the best at that time. Like, you know, I think Lineker was in the squad, obviously, Gaza, uh, Terry Butcher. What was it like stepping into that changing room and that, you know, battle on the pitch with those players? Yeah, it, I was 22, I think, when I got the first call up. And um, 
<laughs> my first roommate was the England captain, Brian Robson. I thought, for God's sake, are you kidding me? You know, I'm asking him, would he like a coffee, a tea? What time would he like to bed? Shall I turn the lights off, sir? Is everything okay? You know, I'll be quiet. You know, because <laughs> you're in awe. You think, oh my God, I'm, I'm now room with the England captain, and that's not normal. That's my first game, for God's sake. Uh, but he was great. He made me feel, you know, very welcome. But yeah, of course, you're playing. Uh, and at that time, I think I just got in when Glenn Hoddle was still there. So it was Glenn Hoddle, Mark Hately, Peter Beardsley, uh, yeah, Brian Robson, Lineker, and what have you. So um, yeah, it, it was great. I went to the '88 European Championships over in Germany. A room with Tony Adams, actually, in that one as well, a young Tony Adams. Uh, it's wonderful because you've got the best of the best there, and and training is, you know, even training, you've got to be right on your metal to, to, to survive, you know, type of thing. But you learn, then you learn very, very quickly. So great experience. Um, I, and I've always wanted to, you always want to push yourself, you always want to get better, you always play against the best. And uh, that's how you prove yourself. And it was just another stepping stone. But yeah, it's a, it's a big step up and um, one I thoroughly enjoyed. I take it Brian Robson uh, didn't have any fish guts on your like track seats or anything he like that. He was right? way more sensible. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I say that. He actually wasn't that much more sensible, but I'll leave that for another time. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was the um, the atmosphere, the, the squad bonds like at that time, all these players? When you're coming in, you know, you've got an Aussie accent, you're coming in to yeah. a very experienced and um, a, a very different culture of a squad, I would say, at international than maybe at club level. How was it like on team trips and bonding and things like that? And, and who, who was the craziest person you, you played with? I think um, naturally there is kind of, um, I suppose, cliques, you know, within the group. You have the older ones, uh, you know, the Peter Shilton's, the Butchers and what have you, because they've known each other for years and years and played together. Uh, and then the new ones will kind of congregate and then you'll always get someone come over and, you know, give you a shoulder and have a chat. Glenn Hoddle did that to me for, in the 88, which was great. And you soon get, you know, integrated. But it takes a, a few squads and a few months and, you know, it goes into years and then eventually you feel more and more and more comfortable. Uh, it, pretty simple who the craziest one is. It's, it's Paul Gascoigne, for God's sake. The guy's, a, guy's absolutely nut job. But he is the best player I've played with. And we went together from England 21s up to the full squad. Uh, so it was with the under 21s first with Gaza uh, and just some player. Yeah. And that's the difference, I think, when you see someone that elevates himself so myself and him and one or two others we got into the full squad against these great players yet in training it still looks like he has a yard more space than anyone else a second more time than anyone else you know his touch was just uh, superb so um yeah he was always destined for for, for greatness um i think always uh, i always say the, the same thing but unfortunately with gaza you know his most comfortable place on earth is on a football pitch it was everything off the pitch where you know, it become difficult for him, but I tell you what, getting on that pitch, he was uh, he was quite amazing. And this this podcast is not long enough for all the stories I've got about Gaza. I'll be here till twenty twenty four. Crazy things all the time, okay, all the time. But I think the problem was not the problem, but the the entertainment value of Gaza was just off the scale. And so you'd always get one or two players who were just trying to wind him up or goad him or whatever, and he would always you know do it. And I do remember the one time we uh, the England Hotel was at. Um, uh, Burnham Beaches, so near Bisham Abbey is where we trained, but we Burnham Beaches was our hotel. So you drive there, you, you, know, you drop the car there, and then uh, you stay there for four or five days and what have you. And uh, remember, Peter Beardsley turned up with a brand new Audi Quattro. It was like beautiful, this brand new car, four wheel thing, cost a, you know, cost a bomb. Uh, <coughs> and Beardo came in and uh, he's telling everyone he's got this new car. So one or two lads kind of went out and had a look. and. Uh, and they thought, wow, this is it's beautiful. And he said, yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. And it? like he's polishing it and what have you. Uh, Chris Waddle comes in and says, Gazza, I bet you can't go and get Beardo's room key, nick his car keys and go for a drive in his new Audi Quattro. Of course, Gazza, always up for the challenge, goes, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so he goes, gets it, what have you. Anyway, uh, he finally gets in the car and he drives off in Peter Beardo's car. At that point, Waddler goes to Beardo, oh, I tell you what, got a few other lads here that want to look at your car. Can we can we go out and have a look at your car? Of course, we go out there, there is no car. So Beardsley is going apoplectic. He's going, oh my God, trying to get you know security and everything else. <laughs> anyway, 10 minutes later, Gazza comes back around the corner in his car, but he's got a donut wheel on one of the wheels because he's already smashed it into something. Someone <laughs> had to fix it, put it on, he comes back and he just gives him the keys and wanders off. I mean, Oh, that's the that's the cleanest one I could tell you. I'm afraid. 
Just, uh, can I just ask a question, Tony? Um, we, we had Robbie Mosto on a few weeks back, and um, he didn't get an England cap, but he had uh, three England B caps. I think you had seven. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would just, obviously, but you you obviously played for the first team. Uh, what was he said that he, he was pretty professional, but for someone who played for both, obviously the first team and the B team, was did you was there a difference in your opinion? Uh, yeah, of course there is. It, it, it's like a, it was a way of looking because imagine the England manager. He, he's looking at uh, you and your your team environment. But when you come to play for England, it, it's not only the way you play on the pitch. It's it's your character. How you're going to fit into the group as well. You know, for large stretches of time. So a lot of the things you know come into consideration. And the B was just a good way of actually looking at a load more players, basically. Okay. Uh, and and that's what it was. So I remember we went to. Um, where was my trip with England B to Iceland, Switzerland, Iceland, and somewhere else? Yeah, so we had a, uh, a little trip uh, there. <laughs> and actually, Gaza, I've got another Gaza story here. We, Iceland, we played against Iceland Bs in Reykjavik, and it was the coldest uh, I've ever been on a football pitch. Like, it was ridiculous. Even just going out to stand for the national anthems, you just couldn't stand because the snow, the rain was going sidewards, and it must, it must be minus God knows what. The chill factor was off the scale. And so, unfortunately, you just couldn't stand still and you should show respect, obviously, to the, to the national anthems and stand still and, and sing. Uh, but we couldn't. Anyway, their national anthem uh, was going on for a long time. So Gaza got the ball and just booted it into the band. And there was a proper band going. So <laughs> anyway, their national anthem stopped pretty quickly, but their players, they were flipping furious. They were going crazy. So they were chasing him around all game, trying to like top him, but they couldn't get anywhere near him. And we beat them and everything was fine. But... Yeah, that was a, a B trip. David Platt, I think, was on that uh, that uh, group of players as well. So you could see, you know, as soon as you showed something, they thought, all oh, right, OK, we'll pick those two or three and get them into the full squad. So Talia 90, Tony, um, England playing the Cameroon team, uh, two penalties from Gary Lineker. Do you think that um, we took uh, the Cameroon team lightly in that game or were they took by surprise for such a close game? Um, they were great, weren't they? The Cameroonians were, were, were tremendous. They were uh, a lot of things about that '90 tournament were amazing, and they were one of them. The Cameroons. I, I do remember uh, one of our uh, so-called scouts uh, bringing back a report on the Cameroons that I must admit did uh, did treat them a little bit lightly uh, and said we should have no problems at all. Well, that was a that was a huge mistake. Uh, even in the tunnel, it was in Naples the game, and in the tunnel as we're walking towards them. It's got the longest tunnel ever under the, the, the ground. And um, the noise they were making, the, the dancing and the jumping, this centre-half must have been jumping like eight foot in the air. I'm thinking, my God, this guy's been enormous. And so but then you had Butcher going, come on, let's go, let's go. And I thought, right, this has got to be a game. This is, didn't expect it to be that quite that difficult. Yeah, so it was tense, but uh, ah, that World Cup, you know, brought brought so many memories and we just kept, you know, getting better and better and better during the course of it. Uh, your Harper, sorry, go, yes, go on my hops. Yeah, um, Tony, I've just got, um, going to my notes, um, going to when Sunes signed you in 1997 for Torino. Yep. Um, in Serie B, looking back at that season, uh, seemed quite an eventful season to say the least. Um, tell us about Sunis, because uh, obviously he was only there for 98 days. What was he like to play under? Uh, don't forget, Graham was always trying to sign me at Glasgow Rangers. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that. Time, yeah. yeah, doing that. So, uh, And then he rang me and said, listen, do you fancy an Italian adventure? Um, Torino have just signed 14 players, uh, different new players, and they're all right-footed. I've got no one on the left. <laughs> do you want to come and join me? Uh, I thought, yeah, why not? You know, let, let's go. Um Fantastic. It was a great experience. Uh, Graham was great. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he didn't speak fluent Italian and he didn't bring his own coaching team or what have you. So all the people that he had to get his message across to the players were all Italian. They could speak some some English. So he was always going to be up against it. I, I think also Graham's style of management uh, was very different to what Italian players are used to. You know, Italian players want to know tactics inside out. They want to know options. They want to know what is expected of them from their manager. They want to know how, when I get the ball, you know, I want to know number one, two, three, four, different movements. Uh, Graham wasn't like that, you know, whatsoever. So I think that was a bit of a challenge. 
Uh, and then also Graham, well, alpha male being uh, Mr. Sunes, he liked to go up against the, the strong man uh, or the big guy, you know, in the in the team or the squad to show who was boss. Uh, and that at the time was uh, Gigi Lentini, who was the most expensive player in the world at one point. He signed from uh, went Torino to AC Milan for the, the most money. 13 million pounds in 1992, my ad. Yeah, which is crazy, which is crazy. He then had a car accident, never got his form quite back, and he came back to Torino. But Torino fans absolutely adored him. Um, and he played in front of me. He was kind of a, a left-sided attacker. And I would, uh, <laughs> I would give him the ball. Gigi would then drop his left shoulder, come inside on his right foot and make space. So I would then fly down the left wing, uh, thinking he would feed me in, but he never would. He would roll it across the midfield. We would lose it. And I would then have to run back past him to try and get the bloody ball back. And I did it once. I did it flipping twice and thought, right, if I do it again, I'm going to go nuts here, this guy. Uh, so instead, <laughs> obviously, Graham saw this as well and uh, had a go at him at half time, Lentini and then took him off. So took the star player off after 45 minutes. So uh, yeah, that was all in the papers, as you can imagine, the next day. Uh, anyway, same happened a couple of weeks later, and uh, that Monday, Graham left, basically got the sack. So uh, yeah, he was, I, I like I like Graham Sinus a lot. Uh, he was great, he, um, he, you know, he took me out there. Uh, we spent a bit of time together out there as well. Uh, he was just in a really hard uh, situation, uh, but I, I loved my time there. Yeah, very interesting um, that season, I must admit. Well, talk, talking about that season, obviously you got to the playoff final and unfortunately you missed the deciding penny. Thank you for that. I've spent hundreds of thousands of pounds. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Tony. I'm, I'm, I do apologise. But I just wanted to know, what was that like in, for you? I, I don't want to go through. It's very painful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, what was it like for me? Yeah, it was... Um, it was difficult because they were such good people. You know, the the lads I was playing with, don't forget, you know, I I'd, I'd won titles, I'd played win, all this sort of stuff. But a lot of the young lads there were just trying to get into Serie A uh, and they were good lads, you know, so professional, what have you. Uh, and the owners there were, you know, were, were good and all behind the team, what have you. But it was just one of those things. And I took it like that. I was the only one that missed the bloody penalty. Everyone else scored. I hit the inside of the post. It went between the goalkeeper and the other post and went out. Uh, we we got a man sent off after half an hour. Uh, we played really well. Uh, just couldn't quite get a winner. Um, and yeah, and I missed. So it was it was really disappointing. I, I felt really bad. But I, I made the, the silly mistake as well of actually then, because the season that ended for us, of going away on holiday straight away. But I stayed in Italy. I went to Sardinia. So as soon as I went to the hotel, they said, ah, Dorigo, you missed the penalty. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. Yep, I did. Grazie. Yeah. I'll stay in Italy just, just briefly, just to touch on, obviously, again, we've done, uh, this covers the match-fixing scandal in Italy at the time in the 90s. That was quite rife throughout the sport in Italy, particularly. Um, and I was reading up about your time in Italy, and there was a rumour, or I think you've spoken about it, about allegedly being in the room where the chairman walked in and openly said that the team would draw a match. How... Is that true? And and what was your reaction to that? Yeah, it, it is. And this is quite sh shocking. And it was shocking to me at the time. Uh, more important was the reaction from everyone else. That was the most shocking. As if to say, well, yeah, Tony, what is wrong with you? You are, you're the silly Englishman. Everyone else agrees. So why are you saying no? Because the owner walked in with a, a few of the other uh, delegates, the three or four of them into training. And of course, anyone that... Uh, that kind of understands Italian, you have a past tense, a present tense, and a, and a, a forward tense. Uh, and I thought my languages were actually going really well. I thought I was getting on great with my Italian teacher until the chairman came in and said, we're going to have a draw. And I've got, no, 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 we won. We won last weekend. We didn't have a draw. And then I realised we're going to have a draw. Holy crap. This can't be right. So he goes around the dressing room asking everyone to agree. You know, and of course, comes to me, I say, no. Everyone laughs and, and it just carries on. I was shocked, like absolutely shocked. And we ended up going into a playoff uh, because we're on the same points because uh, we drew that particular game. If we played it and won, you know, we would have been promoted. Um, so it was uh, hugely shocking. More shocking was that then suddenly, obviously Lentini didn't uh, play because he had a, a knee problem because it was an away game, five hours in a coach. Uh, our captain suddenly had a hamstring injury. Our, our striker, you know, had a sore elbow. The right back and his mum died. 
when we come back, who was resurrected on Monday, she was absolutely fine. I mean, just everyone dropped out of the bloody game. I ended up playing right back. That's how desperate uh, it was. I played right back. After 45 minutes, it was just the weirdest game to play in. I said to the manager, I cannot play in this game. I am really sorry. My hamstring's sore. And he goes, grande, Tony, grande, grazie. Come off, you're fine. And we drew. It was just embarrassing, pathetic, and hugely surprising, but not surprising to everyone else. So that's when you know that that's what happens. This is how it works uh, in Italy come towards the end of a the season. There's lots of shenanigans uh, going on. Not anymore, obviously, but that was a long time ago. But it, it was more the norm than not. You know, everyone kind of knew. And for me, I'd never known anything like that whatsoever in all my time in English football. It's just, it's just not, not right. Oh, I was going to ask Tony, seeing as you played in both uh, countries, what style of football did you prefer playing in? Italian football, English football? Uh, oh, that's a good one because uh, I think Italian football uh, suited me uh, down the ground because it was uh, very technical, uh, which was good. Um, just the character uh, was very different to what I was used to, uh, which wasn't so good. So meaning that, you know, my team that I played for, Torino, we could be playing against like a pretty average side. But if we found ourselves 2-0 down, um, I'm thinking we can still get back in this game, you know, because this lot aren't very good. Come on, let's go. Let's crack on. Uh, whereas my teammates are thinking, no, no, steady, steady, 2-0, you know, that's okay. If we lose only 2-0, it's fine type of thing. I said, well, no, 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 it's not fine. So that bit of an attitude was very different. Whereas in England, the beauty is, you know, whether we're not very bright or not, I don't know, but we always think we can win. Get out there and give it for 90 minutes. 3-0 down, 10 minutes to go, doesn't matter. Come on, let's go. We can win 4-3. Uh, that was not like that in Italy at all. So it was a different, a different type of pace, was it then, Tony, was it? Yeah, and everyone thought it was, uh, was slow. Uh, but when it was quick, it was very quick. So it might be slow, 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 boom, and gone. Whereas in England, it would always be quick. <laughs> you know, it was very rarely to slow down. Whereas there, uh, but you had, like now, you know, everyone could play. Everyone was comfortable with the ball. Uh, you couldn't probably say that in England that time with the centre-halves or maybe the full-backs or whatever, but over there, everyone played, and it was great. So I loved that sort of style because that's I was comfortable on the ball, but there you could play with everyone. Uh, and England, it was slightly, slightly different to that. Um, I was going to ask one question. Um, you mentioned, obviously, Gascoigne was one of the best players you played with. Uh, you obviously mentioned Howard Wilkinson, Graham Souness as managers. What was Bobby Robson like? Uh, Bobby was great. He, he was um, he was so he was a manager that you would run through a brick wall for because he was so likable. He had a lot of faith in you. He believed in you. He gave you a lot of confidence. Obviously, he picked you in the squad, but you know he would still come to you uh, and, and just you know his man management was superb. It was Don Howe that did most of the coaching, but Bobby was great. Yet yeah, he would he would butcher people's surnames. Oh my God! Some of the mistakes he made were flipping hilarious. Yet yeah, <laughs> you'd love him even more. Remember, there was one game that uh, Neil Webb and Stuart Pearce were playing, and uh, he <laughs> Bobby said, "Right, Stuart Webb, you take the free kicks." <laughs> so rather than say, "Is it me or him, boss?" They would both walk towards the free kick because you didn't know which one it was and then he would come up and say Piercy what the bloody hell are you doing piss off back to your left back position <laughs> it was laughing away and you know away you go so he would do that all the time there was a game against uh, Poland at Wembley never forget they played three at the back so we spent a load of the morning uh, looking at their formation with, with three center halves so when we finally get it wide can we switch it and find the space in the other side behind the wide uh, centre half of Poland. Uh, and so in the afternoon, we had a, a team meeting uh, that was called by Bobby Robson. We're all in there, 23 of us, and he's got this magnetic uh, football pitch up with all the, you know, the, the markers, the, the coasters, things there as players. So uh, it was Poland in the red and we were in the white. And so he's trying to make out that, right, when we get it here, we'll, we'll over there, then we'll find the space on the outside of the left-sided centre half, and as he moves that, there was another um, marker there. He says, "That can't be right. We should be finding like a load more space." Let's try it the other side. He does it the other side, and there's another marker there as well. 
Finally, we had to tell him, he said, boss, there's 14 fucking players for Poland. <laughs> Come on, you forgot to take the subs off. What is wrong with you? So, and you think that's like, oh, that's ridiculous. But we loved him even more for it because, of course, he was knowledgeable. Of course, but every now and then he would you know, show he was a, he was a normal guy that, uh, that loved, and, uh, loved England and passionate for them to do well. Amazing. Uh, so going back to the sort of um, nights out with the boys and stuff like that, the title winning party for the, the Leeds title win, did you get a chance to celebrate that? Uh, m- myself and Bats uh, were called up for England. And so we were off to Russia. We were supposed to play uh, in Russia on the Wednesday. And so that Sunday night, we had to head down, uh, meet up on the Monday to, to kind of fly out with the boys. And so after the game, obviously... I was uh, kind of halfway down at my, my in-laws uh, to watch the Liverpool-Manchester City, uh, sorry, Man United game. Uh, then, of course, we won the title, uh, which was incredible. So, But I had to keep going and further down to London. However, I got a phone call then from Howard Wilkinson, who was half cut, to be fair. He'd had way too many uh, uh, sherbets, and he said, to Tony, I've talked to uh, Bobby Robson. He says, and if you, if you don't want to go... Uh, you don't have to. He understands. Obviously, you might want to celebrate with your teammates. It's a it's such an important thing. So if you do, great. If you don't, no problems at all. You know, it won't affect you going forward. It is purely up to you. I said, right, I'm coming back to Leeds. See ya. Put the phone down and uh, headed, headed straight back. So uh, it was brilliant. So then we had a night out on then and a Monday night. And yeah, it went on and on and on. And probably the most difficult game of the season was that Saturday game against Norwich. Because I tell you what, phew, the head was gone, the legs were gone. I'm thinking, oh my God. And not only that, you couldn't then lose, could you? There's no way you could lose. <laughs> of course we didn't. We beat them. It was fine. And then, uh, yeah, magical. That that, uh, that that week there was incredible. And you chose the right choice, which is going yeah, well, But again, but Bobby, that, that's what Bobby was like. You know, because a lot of managers wouldn't have done and you wouldn't have, you know, you had to go away, play for your country and away you go. And uh, I would love to have played. I hadn't been to Russia, uh, so I would have loved to have you know, played out there against them. But um, I just think, you know, doesn't happen very often well at the top one happened once and it was uh, amazing so we had a, a, a great celebration so bats of course did exactly the same thing uh, and uh, we all stayed and had a good time i would just want to talk about the fa cup when we say the fa cup now what does it mean to you compared to what it meant to players in the 90s would you say i feel it's, it's been undermined yeah. i feel it's not the same as uh, it was you know the importance just isn't the same uh because I remember, like I suppose you guys do, that um, that you know drawing of the hat on that Saturday at five o'clock, wherever it was. You know, as soon as we finished the game, we're waiting to see, and suddenly the, the third round draw and who we've got, and then you get all excited, and uh, you know you couldn't wait for that game, and you wanted to be fit for the you know the, that third round of the FA Cup in January, um, and everything around it was just you know absolutely incredible. But um, now it's not the same. It's as simple as that. You know, once you got, I think it was at Manchester United, then leaving and putting a second string team. And then, of course, now with so many games, where's the importance? Uh, all the money, of course, is in uh, Premier League and Champions League. And therefore, the teams that end up playing the FA Cup aren't their strongest 11. So, you know, it goes on and on. And it's really unfortunate. But um, I still think for the lower leagues uh, and the non-league and what have you, it's incredible. It's fantastic. Uh, but it doesn't mean the same, you know, for the big boys, simple as that. So that for me is a, is a real shame. Uh, I look at the, the way the game's gone, the modern game, a lot of good stuff. That one, uh, you know, not so good. We did an FA Cup one, which will go out this, well, it would have been out by the time we've done it. And we we, we said we're going to charter, just for a bit of fun, we want to make sure you're with us, Tony, because we'll be joining the F, March the FA's headquarters and we take them down about what we want to happen to the FA Cup. Holland, what were some of the points we mentioned last night about the FA Cup? What, what would we want to bring back? Playing a neutral ground, Play, playing the semi-finals at Wembley, and then with signs saying we're going to Wembley when you're standing in Wembley is ridiculous. So for us, Villa Park, remember at Hillsborough, go back to doing that. Absolutely fantastic. I remember going to some semi-finals and, and watching it at Villa Park. That's right. Um, and also as a player, you know, it is all about getting that cup final at Wembley. I never dreamt of getting to a semi-final at Wembley. Come on, let's get to a semi-final. Who cares? You know, it's the final. That's what you're doing. And it's at Wembley. So, yeah, you know, same thing. And that's what I mean. It's just a slowly watering down of the uh, and the importance uh, of it. And I think that's another um, another example. And, okay, we understand why. You know, financially, the FA, this, that, and the other. But it, 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 it's, it's undermined the, uh, the cup for sure. 
We also said we want to see um, whole weekends. So the that weekend, that Saturday is an FA Cup day, not a Premier League day. We want the stairs reinstated state at Wembley. So you have to walk up the stairs to lift the trophy. You know, we want some of that. We want Champions League play the FA Cup and taking the fourth spot away. So everyone who goes in it can go in the Champions all, League. All of a sudden, that would that would change the cup completely. Yeah, exactly what we said. Absolutely. You know, that, that in one stroke, you would have everyone. Uh, yeah, going for that in a, in a big way because the same four teams generally win it every year, anyways. It's only most out of 10 years, I think, the same top three or four win it. So, you're not necessarily going to get a Barnsley going into the Champions League, as an example. And you'll be a hell of a lot sure that these mid table teams, like a West Ham or not maybe not a Newcastle, but a, a Leeds, would go right. This, this is the most important game of the season. This is the route to get into this. And the last thing we said, and this is what one, one of the things we hope you join us in with, is we want to bring back the FA Cup songs. Yeah. We want to bring back, you know, come on, your Reds, Madness. Um, what was the other one? The Arsenal one, Dave, what was the reminiscence of that one again? Oh, it was a terrible one. Her hot stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't all have to wear, like, white suits like Liverpool do. <laughs> that one's just yes, like... you do, you do, yes. <laughs> but Tony, are you going to be marching with us? But that's what I mean. Play? Yeah, but that's what I mean. You, you hear all these things. You remember all these different things, don't you, that were so important. Now, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I don't quite feel that same... You know, connection as such. That, that that's the only thing I, I would say. But yeah, I mean, those are the songs. Some were freaking <laughs> they were dreadful. But hey, got to join in the fun. Yeah. Well, that's what we said. So we're gonna we're gonna put a, a, a remit together, and we're gonna march down, and we're gonna say we've got Tony Dorigo with us. So uh, is that okay? We could put that out there now. Is that what you're saying? Uh, what, what, we're gonna get the mullets as well, Tony, like you had in the '90s. Just let me look at my diary. Yeah, I'm gonna try and grow my hair again. You know? <laughs> um, Last question, locker rooms, obviously a massive part of the game back in the day. I don't think it's, it's still important now, of course, but I think back there, the whole um, locker room behaviour and the, the pranks, I don't know if they go on as much now because of social media and because of mobile phones. What was the best prank that was played on you or you played on someone in your career? The absolute top. Uh, the absolute top. Um, let's have a think. You always you always get in every kind of dressing room, you'll have uh, your jokers, uh, that do also they keep you entertained because you you know there's different types of people. I always find that goalkeepers are either absolutely crazy or <laughs> start raving bonkers. Right? There's, there's, there's no that's it. It's those two which are the same thing. Uh, it, it's weird. Only John Lukic was the complete opposite. Like he'd really quiet and would be kind of within himself and concentrating kind of all the time. Um, what was the pranks? We have a, a kind of a, a gallo type humour. In the uh, in the old dressing room as well, um, and uh, never forget when uh, quite a few occasions. But Rushy uh, unfortunately got caught in the news of the world uh, on a Welsh trip, uh, and with some uh, young lady uh, waitress, and uh, he ended up waiting in the broom closet. They had brooms and mops and everything for this young lady to join him. And anyway, this is the whole story in the Sunday <laughs> news of the world. So, of course, Monday morning, what do we do? We all get the brops and the, the brushes and the brooms and the mops. We bring them in the dressing room. Right, Rushy's coming, and we're all starting to like, scrub away in there as soon as he walks <laughs> in the door, you know. I'm sure he would have, could have done with a laugh. I'm sure Sunday wasn't very pleasant for him. But, uh, yeah, th those sorts of things were, uh, were always good fun, but uh, serious nonetheless. His wife now is outstanding. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, he doesn't go any more broom cupboards. He's all good. <laughs> I don't blame him. Tony, I'm just going to finish off with a quick fire and then we can get, send you all the thanks. So just a quick question. First thing comes to your head. Um, so who wins in a fight? Stuart Pierce or David Batty? Stuart Pierce. Golf or darts? Golf. Fish or chips? Fish and chips or pizza? Oh, I tell you what, fish and chips. I've just, the Weatherby Whaler, I live in Weatherby. The Weatherby Whaler is superb. It's got this curry sauce, these mushy peas. I had them down by the river, flip a neck. I normally would have said pizza, but I went with fish and chips. <laughs> uh, better play out, Keen or Ince? Oh, Keen. Lovely. Best player you played with? Paul Gascoigne. The biggest dickhead you work. Carlton Palmer. Now, Carlton Palmer is... <laughs> no, no, he's not a knob. Everyone <laughs> I can tell by the way you're laughing. But I tell you what, once you get to know CP, he is a great guy, let me tell you. I love you, CP. <laughs> um, Cristiano Ronaldo or the Brazilian Ronaldo? Uh, Brazilian. Phenomenon. Brazilian Ronaldo was amazing. Obviously, Cristiano is as well, but I just... 
Yeah, Brazilian one. Best manager you played under? Oh, um, I'm going to surprise you here because it's actually the manager, it's the coach, uh, Steve McLaren. When I was at Derby, he was the coach to uh, Jim Smith. So Jim Smith's manager, Steve, was, and he was the best coach, absolutely. Uh, best manager, uh, Bobby was great. Howard was very good. I'll go Howard. Go Howard. Tony, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Brilliant. And we'll see you on the March to Wembley. More than welcome. Once I've grown my hair, give me a shout. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tony. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Tony. Thanks a lot, mate. Send me one of your England caps. Sports Social Podcast Network.